Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Welcome to the broadcast. So glad you're joining me today. What you saw and what you just witnessed, I played it on Tuesday, but for those who couldn't catch the Tuesday broadcast, I wanted to play it again today. What you just witnessed is one of the greatest evangelists that ever walked the earth, Reinhard Bonnke and his associate Daniel Kalenda, leading millions of people to the Lord throughout, uh, I think, 19... I know 1999 to 2009, that's when they had the most. I think 40 million in those like 10 years. And so... That is what God's plan is on the earth today. That is what God is releasing on the earth today. That is not something we're going to look back. Oh, if only someone, if only we can go back to the days when brother, because I, I can guarantee you there's going to be people that rise up in the next coming years, decades. They're going to say, oh, let's, let's reminisce what God did through Bonky on the earth. And let's just talk about that and hope for one day that'll happen again. No, we don't have to hope for that. I pray that the same fire that God inside of Bonky, Reinhard Bonky, that caused him to run that race and not grow weary in well-doing, that zeal for evangelism, that unquenching fire to see the lost saved, that zeal is coming on you today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I know I'm coming out hot, but you can't watch a video like that. You cannot talk about soul winning. You can't talk about evangelism. You can't talk about what God loves most and not get fired up about it. And that's why I know as you tune in today, as you listen, as you incline your ear to hear, the heartbeat of heaven is going to get in you. And I tell you, life is going to take on a full new purpose for you. When you were saved, you were not saved to sit and warm up a church pew on Sundays. You were not saved so that you can just twiddle your thumbs and wait for the rapture to happen. You were not saved so you can engage in religious, traditional, uh, routine church or you are not saved so that you can be some form of theologian and just study the greatness of God. No, that's not where you were saved. You were saved first and foremost because the Bible says God demonstrated his love towards sinners that while we were still in sin, while we were ungodly, while we were against God, while we were in iniquity, Christ came to die for our sins. You were saved because of the love of God. But when you're genuinely saved, there is a love that comes in you. The Bible says in Romans 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. When that love of God comes in you, it not only produces a love for God, but it produces a love for what God loves most, and that is your neighbor. That is those, just like the the Samaritan man, as he traveled on that road, the religious zealot passed by the same road, saw the same lost soul, the same broken, bruised, and battered individual lying on the side of the road, and he did nothing about it. Then another priest, even a Levite came by, and he saw the man sitting on the side of the road, broken, bruised, um, in need of dire, direly, in need of help. And yet he still moved on. He, he turned a blind eye to him. But when the Samaritan man walked by, he refused to leave him in the same state that he found him in. That's what soul winning does. It's a refusal to leave our generation in the same state that we find it in. I refuse to let my generation die and go to hell without having first heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said the quote on Tuesday, but it's been ringing in my spirit since. Oswald J. Smith said, the, uh, the, those who have 
those who have heard, nobody, sorry, no individual, no individual has the right or the privilege to hear the gospel twice when most of the world has not heard it once. There's too many bruised, there's too many broken, there's too many sorrowful, there's too many lost, dying, sighing, crying humans on this planet for us to preoccupy ourselves with religious debates, with, well, I don't know, brother, I, I don't know if I'm an Arminianist or if I'm a Calvinist. Brother, I don't know if I believe in this doctrine or that doctrine. I'm not against studying doctrine. You should study to show yourself approved. But if that's study that you're doing is not producing a, 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 um, a zeal in you to go and make converts, go and make disciples. Remember what Jesus said before he left, before he, gravity lost hold on him and he ascended onto the highest. He gave his final commands to his disciples and he said, now that I'm going, don't sit down in the synagogues, don't just uh, be complacent, don't be apathetic, don't get indifferent, don't get um, closed off to the mission that I started here on the earth. Rather, go ye therefore into all nations. Make disciples of all peoples. And not just, you know, people always say, well, you know what, we're not, we're not, a, we're not big on, on evangelism here too much. We're more on to making, making better disciples. We want to make better disciples. Brother, sister, you can't make good disciples without producing an evangelistic zeal in them. You, the Bible says it is enough for a disciple to become like his master. Well, what was Jesus like? Was he just debating the religious scholars of his day, sitting in the synagogue, doing nothing else but to hear and discuss something new? Or was he, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So you can't make good disciples without actually making more disciples. The, the very fruit of good disciples is going to produce and generate more disciples. You can't have one without the other. And I pray, from this broadcast, that's what's going to happen to you. You're not just going to be a, a, a feed me, feed me Christian. You're not just going to be a beggarly Christian, always wanting a breakthrough for you. No, God is going to put something in you that you're going to carry breakthrough to your generation, to your school, to your workplace, to the people around you, to your family and your relatives in the name of Jesus Christ. And the devil's going to rue the day when he had you and didn't kill you because of what you're about to do to the kingdom of darkness the darkness is not over your head the darkness is under your feet and the devil's gonna get a reminder that he's not the one that rules on this earth no the church is the ruler the church is the dominator the church is given the keys of authority to bind and to loose and my generation it doesn't belong to hell my generation doesn't belong to satan's forces no they've had the ride they've had their field day but today now the people of god are rising to put the devil on the run and to usher in the greatest move of God the world has ever seen. And I'm not going to sit on the sideline wishing I can be a part of it. I'm getting in the mix today. And I know God's going to use me. And I know God's going to use you because you wouldn't be continuing on this broadcast if you weren't a special breed of Christians. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, if you're just tuning in now, this is my introduction. Please share the broadcast. Get this message out to as many people as possible. We are going to mobilize the harvest today. Tuesday was just the foundation. Today, I'm going into practical, effective keys to sowing. Things that are going to revamp. Things that are going to totally change the way you win the loss. Some of you have tried. Some of you, maybe are, uh, you think you're too timid. Some of you have complained about the obstacles. But today, we're going to blow those 
those obstacles down and we're going to equip you with biblical keys, scriptural keys, because it's important that we start in the Bible. It's important that we stay in the Bible and it's important that we end in the Bible. If it's not biblical, I don't want it. If Jesus didn't mimic it, if Jesus didn't do it, if Jesus didn't emulate it, then I don't want to imitate it. The Bible says we are to imitate God as dearly beloved children. I'm not going to imitate methods that aren't producing results. We are not called to just faithfulness. Faithfulness without fruitfulness is futile. Faithfulness, I'm going to say that again. Faithfulness without fruitfulness is futile. It does no good. You can be faithful at doing things wrong for a long time. How many of you know he stood by that corner and just shouted the, the gospel for 40 years he didn't win one convert well then there's prop there's a problem with his gospel he's obviously not shouting the right gospel because when you proclaim the gospel the bible says it is foolishness to those who are perishing but to such as are the call it is the power of god unto salvation jesus so some people say well you know i'm faithful to the gospel that's why we don't have many people at our church no it's actually quite the opposite you're not faithful to the gospel and that's why you don't have many people in your church i'm not a against small churches. God has a plan for small churches. It's so that they become big churches. It's so that they have more, more influence in their communities. I'm not against small churches. But if you stay small 15, 20 years down the line, then obviously there's something wrong with the way things are being done. We are called to multiply. We are called to bring forth fruit. John 15 verse 8 says, In this is my Father very much glorified that you bear much fruit. John 15 and verse Verse 16, the Bible says, you did not choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to just wait out the rest of your days until you're wrapped. No, I have appointed you so that you should go out and bring forth much fruit and that your fruit should remain. So you have to evaluate yourself. I, I spoke about it briefly on Tuesday. Soul winning is not an option for a child of God. Soul winning is not a recommendation from heaven. Soul winning is not a hobby and an interest God gives to a few because they, you know, they're a little bored with life. No, soul winning is the mandate of heaven. It is the divine order. It is the command of God. It is just as much a sin to go out and violate the command of purity than it is to violate the command of not, of preaching the gospel not preaching the gospel when god moves on you time and time again to do it to share your faith that conviction you feel when you don't do it that that's why do you think the conviction is there it's because it's sin not to do it it's sin not to obey god in this regard people have just you know, relegated evangelism to the evangelist, evangelism to the pastor. You know what we've done? Instead of actually preaching the gospel, we've told people that evangelism is just bringing people to church. Now that can be a step towards evangelism, but that is not evangelism. Jesus did not empower his disciples so that they can bring the people to the synagogue to hear the word of God. No, Jesus taught his disciples to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper. He taught them to speak, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand and then demonstrate their words through power. We're not called to bring people to church and that's a bad, no, that's lazy evangelism. We are called to be the vessel. The Bible says God has different vessels. There are some for honorable use and then there's some that he just can't use because they're not willing and yielded and ready. They're not equipped. That's why it's important that you study what we're about to study. I'm going to give you nine effective keys 
to so many. Nine keys that I've learned from others that have gone before me that have done it magnificently. You know, I'm not going to learn evangelism from somebody who has never won a soul in their life. I would not read a book from somebody who, who doesn't know who, you know, a book on audio mechanics from somebody who doesn't even have a garage, who's never even worked on a car. Just because he went to school and studied it does not mean he's actually a good mechanic. Just because a doctor goes to school and studies the biology of a human, it does not mean he's going to be, he's going to be a good surgeon. There's actually a lot of people that are excellent in school, but when they're, when they're faced with an actual, um, surgery when they actually have to perform what they've learned they panic they're not very good at it and they have to learn it's an acquired skill you know someone just out of med school is not going to perform the same type of job of someone who's been performing surgeries for 48 years you understand what i'm saying so in the same vein i'm not going to learn evangelism from people who absolutely have no fruitfulness in that area i'm not going to learn how to you know invest into the stock market from somebody who just keeps losing on every stock he makes can you you get you catching my drift i know you are that's why you're still on this broadcast so why what do we do the bible says we're to be followers of them who through faith and patience have obtained not explained but obtained the promises of god so we're gonna I, i've studied these nine keys i've i've gotten from others people that have gone before me uh my my mentor tiff evangelist tiff shuttlesworth um, a magnificent man of god who has led conservatively six hundred thousand people to the lord in 40 years of ministry, conservatively, it's probably more than that, but he's he's a very conservative guy. Like he does not blow up numbers. He does not, uh, he doesn't exaggerate at all, but it's probably more than that. But conservatively, about 600,000. So he's got some keys and things that I'm willing to learn from. And I have others that I can name that, that have been used mildly of God. I have books behind me of Reinhard Bonnke, the guy you saw in the video at the beginning of the broadcast, of Billy Graham. I study their lives. I study their biographies. I study what did they do to obtain the results that they have. And so this broadcast is not just going to be for... Um, if you want to sow one in the streets, but even if God's calling you to preach on a, uh, in a full-time uh, position of ministry in, as, a, as an evangelist, I believe God's calling some of you to actually leave all to take on this office of the evangelist and join the, the, the ranks of the army of God. I believe some of you watching right now, you've had a tug in your heart to go into the full-time ministry. Well, let this be a confirmation to you. There's been no better decision that I ever made. After accepting Christ and after getting married to my wife, the best decision I ever made was enlisting as an evangelist. As God called me, I answered the call. I did not ignore it. And I have had a life of goodness, mercy, blessing, favor, and just witnessing the power of God at display in a firsthand level. And it's been amazing. It's been truly an experience. You can never join people always talk about joining the ministry as some like hard thing and you know ultimately you're going to lose everything and there's not much rewards that's I, you're not doing it right there's been holy reward in the ministry i've only tasted of god's goodness as i've been on the go for him he said in isaiah 119 if you're willing and obedient you will eat of the good of the land he didn't say if you're willing and obedient just get ready because i'm gonna make things real hard for you now no he said if you're willing and you're obedient to follow after his calling Man, I feel like this is for somebody. You've been taught your 
whole life that ministry is hard, that ministry is some dreaded thing, that ministry is just pretty much, you know, get ready to have no friends, nothing, and just live the life of a monk the rest of your life. That is not ministry. I tell you, ministry is just being able to be to be uh, used as a vessel to see firsthand God work through you and see and see the marvelous workings of the Spirit of God here on the earth. Ministry is not a call to poverty. It's not a call to, to, to you know, sickness and disease. No, there is a suffering that comes with the ministry. There is a time of separation. There is consecration. There is times where you're going to distance yourself from people. There is a, a sort of loneliness in the ministry, if you, if you say it that way. But I'm telling you, the rewards of the ministry far outweigh the cost. The pay, the way God rewards those is far outweighing the cost that I've ever had to give. Jesus said, come, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. But remember, he didn't stop there. He said, whoever whoever gives up houses, property, father, lands, mothers, brothers, sisters, for my sake and the gospel's sake, he shall receive a hundredfold time, a hundredfold in this time and in the life to come, eternal life. So let me go through nine effective keys. I want to read first from 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're just joining me right now, please share this broadcast and uh, get the word out to as many people as possible. Chapter 4 and verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 1, the Bible says, I charge you, therefore, I charge you. Not, here's a suggestion to some of you. Here's my recommendation. As, you know, I'm about to leave. He's, he's talking about actually his, that he, uh, he's being poured out as a drink offering, that his time of his departure is at hand. Paul's talking about that he knows that his days are, 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 are being numbered. And he doesn't say, you know, my last few words. If you can get around to this, I would encourage you. So please make soul winning the number one part. No, I charge you. That's like the strongest. I, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ with heaven witnessing. I'm giving you this command. I'm giving you this charge. I'm giving you this assignment that you have to do. Who will judge the living and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. To convince, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. And we're in that day now. There are people who know more. You know, when you're soul winning, you're the major on the majors and minor on the minors. And there are some people who think soul winning is like, debating with people on whether God exists or not. That's not soul winning. Jesus never spent time trying to convince his crowd whether God existed or not. He didn't talk about controversial doctrine to unbelievers. Preach to Christians like they're Christians and preach to sinners like they're sinners. Do not preach to sinners like they're Christians and don't preach to Christians like they're sinners. What do I mean by that? You don't get into a church and start making feel, uh, you, you get up in a church and uh, start preaching to Christians like they're sinners. Like every single week. That they're co you're constantly in the, you need to repent, you need to repent, you're going to hell. No, you don't do that. And then you don't preach to sinners like they're Christians. You don't go up to sinners and, and, and you know, talk about all the, the, the teachings and doctrines of the Bible and expect them to understand. You don't bring up, you know, what your position is on a post 
post-tribulation, pre-tribulation, or mid-tribulation rapture. They don't care about that. They don't care about Luther's 99 thesis. They don't, 95 thesis. They don't care about these like minors. Oh, whether we're going to, we're pre-millennial or post-millennial. They don't care about things like that. Whether the fruit on the tree in the Garden of Eden was an apple or a banana. People, they get so caught up in this useless stuff that they forget. They've neglected the great message of salvation and we're suffering as a result. But Paul says the time is coming when that's going to happen. People are going to neglect. They're no longer going to endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables but you be watchful in all things endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry do the work of an evangelist what is the work of an evangelist to proclaim to herald to declare to forcefully speak the death the burial well, first of all, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, the, his three and a half years of ministry, perfect sinless life he lived, the death, the burial, the ascension, and the soon return of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Listen to this. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Once again, he's saying, I, I know my purpose. I know what my purpose is. He, he, he put first things first. Not that there's wrong with, any, you know, obviously we're commanded to baptize people. That's an ordinance of the church. Jesus did it. He even told people, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So that's something we do. But Paul understood my main, my main mission personally is to get, to, get, to, to get the gospel into their hearts. Not with words of wisdom, but lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God is literally saying through Paul that you're not going to intellectually convey this message to others. We're not trying to make sense of this. We're not trying to help the Bible make and, and make sense of it into the, to the minds of people. The gospel is something that was birthed, birthed in your heart and as such, you can't deliver it simply to the mind of others. Now, I'm not against, you know, obviously there's a time, you have to, you have to, you have to teach, you have to preach. There is a, a, a reception of the information of the Word of God. However, we're not trying to appeal to the mind of man. Because the Bible says that the foolishness of the message preached, it's foolishness to people that are perishing. And then he goes on to say, since in the wisdom of God through the, uh, through, sorry, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. So it's not going to be, you're not going to teach your neighbor to a point where he finally understands the word. No. Flesh and blood cannot, cannot reveal this unto you. Can't impart the revelation of this to you. It's only my Father, the Spirit of God, who can open up, enlighten the hearts of men. 
so that they can see clearly the message of the cross. But we cooperate by the preaching. The Spirit cannot do anything. God's Spirit cannot save a soul unless they're first preached to. We cover that on Romans 10 on Tuesday. How can they hear unless there be a preacher? How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless there be a preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless someone goes? So we cooperate with God's Spirit that just like in creation. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. But the Bible says that nothing happened. There was no light. Nothing was created until God said. Until words came, the Spirit could not substantialize anything. He couldn't bring to pass anything. The Spirit does not work uh, separately from the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. The, the Spirit cooperatively works with Christians, individuals, people that are ready to go and speak this message. And when the seed of the Word is sown, it is the seed that is implanted that the Holy Ghost goes to work on and waters and increases it to produce salvation in people's hearts. Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren. Not many of you are wise according to the flesh. Not many of you mighty, not many of you noble are called. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the things which are wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world, the things which are despised, God has chosen them. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. So Paul is saying, we have this massive task of evangelism that we have to do. And some of you might feel really small and little and unable in your own strength to do any of it and i want you to know that in your own strength you will not be able to do any of it and he goes on to say when god called you you were not strong when god called you you were not wise when god, well, i don't know how i'm ever going to reach anybody for christ every time i open up my mouth it's like I, I, words just aren't coherent in my mind they don't there's no connection with words i have a hard time getting a thought out i have a hard time illustrating something i have a hard time coming up with analogies i have a hard time and people make excuses and say well i just don't have the ability to do that so you know what i'll do i'm gonna get my friend to come and hear the preacher which i told you there's nothing wrong with bringing people to church you should do that you should absolutely do that that's um you know, that is a form of evangelism. But you should come to a point where you mature in your faith, where you're no longer like Andrew and Philip. They were bringing people to Christ. But then we read in the book of Acts, Andrew and Philip were no longer bringing people to Christ because Christ wasn't even there with them on the earth. He, The Bible says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you the same spirit who when he comes alive in you, you won't have to bring them to me anymore physically on this earth. You can preach this message. You can have the anointing to break the yoke. You can have the anointing that lifts up the heavy burdens. And you can lead them to salvation by yourself, by the help of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, not many of you were noble. Not many of you had some influence in society. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were strong according to the flesh. But don't let that discourage you because we have a supplement to help us be strong in this work of evangelism. That supplement, I'm going to get to it at the end. But it's the Holy Ghost in power. 
Here's a little sneak peek to the end of this broadcast. The Holy Ghost and power. The power of the Spirit. Jesus said, don't try and do evangelism in your own strength, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And when you receive the Spirit, you will receive power to do my work to be a witness for me in jerusalem in judea in samaria and to the other ends of the earth i mean if you look from the early days of the church up until the 1900s the early 1900s there was very little evangelism there was the great awakenings in the 1800s but there was very little evangelism outside of a few little pockets of revival but then in 1906 in the azusa street outpouring through a, a one-eyed black preacher named William Seymour, a humble man, a man of God. God chooses that. I mean, you want to talk about not being noble, not being wise, not being considered anything of uh, affluence or, or, or influence according to the flesh. That guy, it was in a time of segregation in the United States. He, he said, when I had to, William Seymour, I've read his, his stuff, or like works written on him. When he wanted to go, to a, a Pentecost, not a Pentecost, when he wanted to go to a revival meeting, when he wanted to go to a church meeting, and it was on a white church, he had to stand outside the door. He wasn't even allowed into the church, which that in itself is demonic. But he couldn't even, I mean, there was no influence he had over the people of his day. He had no ability to have any type of influence over the people in his day. He was in a day where if you were black, you had to drink out of a different water fountain, for goodness sake. And God chose him. So quit giving excuses. I guarantee you, you don't have to go through the same obstacles that he had to go through. And God did it through him. So that when he started preaching, he was such a humble dude. When he would preach, he would he had such a fear for God. He would put his head under the pulpit and wouldn't even like, he wouldn't even let his, his, his face be seen. And then the Spirit starts to pour out in his meeting. People get baptized in the Holy Ghost. They start to speak in other tongues, which they, haven't, they hadn't heard of until uh, since Acts chapter 2. And then from there, people from all the world came to see and watch him burn and the meeting go. And they started to get hit by the power of God and the power of Pentecost. And then from there, there was dispatched soul winners. I mean, Reinhard Bonnke. The reason why he, he got saved and his family got saved was because someone from Germany heard about the Pentecostal outpouring in Azusa Street. He flew across. I don't know if he flew. No, he didn't fly. It was probably in the 1906. Man, they're still like in boats. He took a boat to America. And he hears the message, Acts chapter 2, believes on it, gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, goes back to Germany. And he's driving around, gets lost. In a random village, like in the middle of a forest, gets out of his car and goes to like the main shop that's open. And the clerk comes out and he says, you lost? You need help? And he said, yeah, I'm lost. But before that, he says, are there any sick people here? And the man said, well, yeah, there's, you know, obviously there's sick people here. He said, no, show me someone who's like beyond repair. And he led him to a man who was in like a, a little house you know, a hundred meters from the shop and he was in his bed sh just shrieking in pain, in excruciating pain. He would yell. You can actually hear him from the shop, him yelling in agonizing pain. 
and he had some form of rheumatism or rheumatoid arthritis, something like that. And he goes and gathers a small crowd around him. I mean, look at the, what the fire does. When you have no fire, you don't do anything. You never step out for God. That's why it's important. That's why Jesus said, John baptized with water, but I have come to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. The fire will enable you to step out and do what nobody else will do. The fire will empower you to do things that you never thought in your wildest imagination that you'd ever do. The fire enabled that guy when he's lost. Oh, you know, he could have, he was a lukewarm guy. He would have said, yeah, I'm looking for the next exit. Could you help me to get out of here? Instead, what did he do? Can you please... Show me where there's a sick person. Gets a small crowd around him. If I lay hands on this guy in the name of Jesus and heal, will you listen to what I have to say? And they said, well, yeah, we'll, we'll listen to you. If you do that, you have our ear. He lays hands on him and by his stripes, prays a very simple prayer over him. By his stripes, command you to be healed. The guy instantly gets healed. Rises up out of his sickbed. Now he's got a bigger crowd, preaches the gospel to his family. That was Reinhard Bonnke's grandfather that was dying of rheumatism. And he gets up. So that one man's impact on that grandfather's life led his son to the Lord. And then his son, Reinhard Bonnke's father, grows up, becomes a pastor in the, I think, a Methodist church, but in the days when it was like, like fire to be a Methodist. And uh, raises up Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke catches the power of the Holy Ghost, then sees a vision of a blood-washed Africa, the continent of Africa, just being washed by the blood. He saw red blood just coming across the whole continent. And he heard a thunderous voice saying, Africa shall be saved. And three times, and three or four different nights in a row, he had that same dream. And so he concluded that God was calling him to Africa. He goes to Africa, sets up a tent when he's a little older. I don't know how old he was, probably in his 20s. He said, not a tent actually, he rents out the main auditorium in, uh, I forget where, where it was, in Africa. And uh, I think night one, nobody came. So he prayed throughout the, the rest of the day. I think he fasted the next day. And that night, I don't know, by divine mystery and the compelling spirit of God, it was packed the next night. And then miracles started to pop out and that began his ministry. And he started to do crusades like that. And then the Lord spoke to him. No longer can you do it in tents. No longer can you, will you be able to do this in arenas or in, um, in, in, in facilities and buildings? It's time to take the roof off. And so he started to do open air crusades. And they started to see 500,000 come, 800,000. And you saw at the beginning of that 2.4 million in, in a, a week of services in one night, I believe. He saw 1.4 million or 1.3 million decisions for Christ in one night of his gospel campaign. I mean, that, that should show you. It doesn't, and Reinhard Bonnke was not the most eloquent, uh, persuasive speaker. He wasn't the most, you know, gift of the gab, order of the day speaker. He was a simple German guy, but he obeyed. And as such, God showed his power through him. And we're now using him as an example. Somebody who was literally, if he hadn't yielded himself to the Spirit of God and done all that, and if you saw him in the natural, what he really was without God's help, we would have mocked him. He would have been nothing to look at. But with God's help, that's why they said of Jesus, he grew up as a tender root. 
having nothing to look at. He didn't look like somebody God was going to anoint one day. He didn't look as the anointed Christ. He didn't look like the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He grew up in the background, in the shadows. But then Matthew 4 comes around. He gets baptized. And as he comes out of the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him, lighting on him as a dove. And he begins to fast and pray, returns in the power of the Spirit. And fame of his name begins to spread throughout the whole surrounding region. And multitudes come to press together. What did the difference? The, the anointing of the Spirit, which I'm going to get to at the end. But I want to go through nine effective keys. I'm going to go through them right now because last few times we've been going like an hour and 45 minutes. And I realize some of you have lunch breaks. Some of you have, you know, work to go on and do. So, number one, effective key for soul winning. Number one, you'll never be effective if you're ignorant of the Word of God. And I, I'm going to read this out of Philemon. If you're just tuning in now, please share this broadcast. Once again, I have no, I don't know why Restream Chat is like messing with me. I've tried to fix it and I can't see how many people are online right, right now. But if you would help me get this message out to more people, you'd, you'd be a great help to me today by sharing it. Philemon is always a sneaky little one. Where are you? Where are you? Come out. Oh, there you are. Philemon and verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith, verse 6, very important, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. So Philemon is obviously dealing with people when he's writing, uh, Paul is writing to Philemon and he's, uh, he's obviously dissecting Philemon's ability to share his faith and it's, it might not be doing much, might not be yielding much results. So he's saying, the sharing of your faith will become more effective. You'll increase in your effectiveness. You'll increase in your ability, your skill. Understand, soul weaning is a skill. That some people have and some people don't have. But if you don't have it, it doesn't mean you can't grow in that skill. I hate when people come up to me and they say like, oh, wow, you know, you've led so many people to the Lord or, you know, we had such a great week of meetings and what a special gift God has given you. God, yes, God has put his hand on me. Yes, God has gifted me to preach and stuff. Yes, I, I, I you know, God has given me his anointing, but I'm not some special breed. I've paid the price to get that in my life. If you'll pay the same price, you'll have the same results in your life. The Bible wasn't written so that we can look at Jesus and hold him like he's some museum that we, we visit. Some like statue in a museum that we can visit and just marvel at. No, Jesus came to paint the picture that John 14, 12, the works you've seen me do, the attractiveness that I've had in ministry, you will have too. If you do what I do, and greater work shall you do if you believe, because I'm going to the Father. Paul did not say, now what you see me do, don't go out and imitate it. No, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And Paul's telling Philemon, the sharing of your faith will become more effective, point one, if you come to the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. How do you come to the acknowledgement? How do you come to the knowledge of the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus? By the word of God. The more you study this word, the more you're going to be equipped to know uh, of the things of what salvation brings to mankind. And as such, you'll be better equipped to deal with people that aren't in, aren't in Christ. You know, someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm having a rough patch in life, uh, I, and, and, and I, I'm feeling like a depression come on me and anxiety's been gripping me. And you just tell them, well, you know, what will be keeping you in prayer? That's not going to help them. You, you can, as you study the Word of God and find out who is in you, find out that the Word of God is like a hammer that breaks the mold into pieces. You don't have to just keep people in prayer. Through the acknowledgement of every good thing, of the power of God in you, of the Word of God and its effectiveness to produce through you, when you start to understand how powerful God's Word is on your mouth and in your heart, and as you declare it openly, when someone comes to you with depression or problems, you won't have to, well, we'll keep you. No, you can, you can. Well, don't you know, someone comes to you with anxiety, panic attacks, whatever. I, I want to tell you today, the Bible says Jesus came to give us a peace that the world could never offer. I want to tell you in Isaiah 26, 3, it says my peace uh, is a perfect peace. That if you'll keep your eyes on me, Jesus said, I'll give you perfect peace. And I'll not let your heart be troubled. John 14, 1, the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That fear you're feeling, that, those panic attacks, you can put an end to those. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So now because I've studied the Word and I know about Jesus' ability to deal with anxiety and panic attacks, when someone opens up to me that, like that, I have necessary, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for what? To equip a man of God that he might be adequately equipped, ready unto every good work. So when someone comes to you that's sick, what an opportunity to preach the gospel. You can easily open up and tell them Isaiah 53 and verses 43 uh, through 5. Did you know Jesus bore your sickness? He carried your pains? Jesus came and took stripes on his back so that you can be healed in your body? You know that you don't have to stay sick? Jesus came and manifested himself as the Christ that is our Savior from sin, but he also said, I'm the Christ, the Savior of the body from sickness and disease. And you can talk to him about ex uh, Exodus 15, 26, that God revealed himself, one of his... his, uh, his um, redemptive names in the old testament was i'm the lord your healer that god is just as much healer of sickness than he is uh, of savior of sin and you start to open up that part of the gospel to them and give them hope say if you'll just come to christ today my god will work a miracle for you God can do what no doctor can do. His word can get into the place that no surgery, no knife, no surgeon's knife can get to. No x-ray. Doctors don't know what's up with you. Don't you know that Jesus Christ came, anointed of the Holy Ghost to heal those that are oppressed? You can use so much more angles of attack in getting a person saved when you know what's available to you in the gospel. 
You have someone come to you and they, they don't know, they're at a roadblock in life. They don't know where to go. They've sought counsel and advice from others, but they don't know where to go. Instead of just saying, well, I'm going to pray that God should. No, you can connect them. The Bible says God is a counselor. The Bible says that he will counsel you and guide you in the way you should go. He's the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the place that you should go. The Bible says if you'll give your life to him, you'll, he'll, he'll give you access to his voice. And you have so many... And then after that, obviously you dive deep into the reason why you have sickness, the reason why you have panic attack, the reason you don't ignore the problem, which is the source, which is sin. And so now you, you know, any problem man has, you can trace it back to sin. And then you can tackle it there. The only, the only remedy, the problem is sin. The remedy is the cross and there's no other way you can get around it. So you're equipped thoroughly unto every good work. The word of God is quick and active. It's living and powerful. I don't have to help the word of God when I preach. That's why there's so many people, you know, there's churches where the people, they understand. And this is why there's no soul winning being done in their churches and at large in these churches is because they're more equipped to tell someone about the message of prosperity in the gospel, which I'm not against when it's taught rightly, the message of, uh, you know, I don't know, any other message. They're more equipped to deal with the message of prosperity than they are about the message of salvation itself. They're more taught, the, there are places where they're more taught on like the minors of the Bible than they are on the majors. Most Christians, you would be astonished at how many Christians have no clue what the gospel really is. They just think it's their sins being forgiven and they have a passport to heaven. And that's why they don't even know the gospel. How are you going to share about something you don't even know? That's why Paul said, study to show yourself approved. A worker approved unto God. Paul said, I have to go through the same testing. Many are called, few are chosen. But he said, I've been chosen by God. Why? Because I've been approved and in... Because I was entrusted with this gospel, and I studied, I learned it, and I've been zealous to share it, I've been approved unto God as a messenger of this gospel. There are many that are called, few are chosen, because they don't dive into this book. It's like, imagine Apple. They're announcing a new iPhone. And uh, what's his name? Tim Cook, the CEO, gets up at their Apple keynote, where they have millions of people watching at once. And he gets up and he's not, he doesn't know any, he has no clue about the specs, the design of this new iPhone. And he's just trying to wing it. He's going to, the stock on Apple is going to take a plummet. It's going to plummet the next day. It's going to get hurt because they weren't prepared. Some people have prepared more for a work presentation than they have for their gospel presentation. So what, how, what's one step you can take to prepare? Study the Bible. I mean, look, there's a book I have right here by Dag Heward Mills. One of the, the great evangelists on the earth today. Has led millions to the Lord in Ghana, Africa and across, across the earth. How you can preach salvation. In this book is, a, I don't know how many, a hundred? One hundred 
and 10 ways you can preach salvation from different stories in the Bible. There was a guy once who was struggling with, uh, I forget what he was struggling with. I should have thought about this before. He was struggling with something. I forget what it was. But I was able, because I studied the word, I was able to relate his struggle with somebody's struggle in the Bible and how God broke them out of that struggle and delivered them from that frustration. And I told him, if you want the same results, just give your life to Jesus today. Repent of your sin. Turn to God. And the Bible says times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord when you repent and are converted. And I was able to give him, a, I, I presented and an invitation to, to Jesus Christ, a presentation and an invitation. Because I was able to take his scenario, relate it to a Bible scenario. People say this book is outdated. This book is not outdated. Why? Because the problems of men have never changed. What sin brought in Genesis 3 is the same problem sin brings in 2021. It's the same problem sin is bringing on the earth in 2023, 2040, 2100. 2100. If Jesus tarries, it'll be the same problems throughout history. Sorrow, sin, death, sickness, loneliness, grief, all problems that find their root in sin. And there's nothing. There's... There's nothing man's going through that can't be located in this Bible that someone else has already, somebody else has already gone through. And as such, now you can, you have an illustration. You know, you talk about someone who's struggling with thoughts of suicide because of what he's done. And he's got a, 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 a condemnation. The devil's attacking and accusing him. Everything he's done doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know the gospel. You can offer him the story of John 8. When the adulterous woman was brought to Jesus and they said, should we stone her? Quick to pick up a stone. What did Jesus do? Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. They slowly back out. And then Jesus was the only one left because he was the only one without sin. And he said, where are your accusers? Has never no, nobody stood to condemn you? No, Lord, none. Neither do I condemn you. And you can tell them the same Jesus. I mean, that woman, she was in the act of adultery. She was probably brought before Jesus naked because they caught her red-handed. And they wanted to humiliate. They wanted to accuse her. They wanted to stone her. They wanted to crush her and make her a spectacle. And Jesus' reaction was different. He said, neither do I condemn you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you'll give your life to Jesus, to, I mean, right there, you have a presentation. And the more you practice that, the more skilled you'll be in, the, in your delivery. So number one, you need, to, you need to become acquainted with this book. The Bible says, acquaint thyself with my word. Store up my words in your heart. How can a young man keep his way clean and pure? By keeping it according to his word. Joshua, let not this book depart from thy mouth. Meditate on it day and night and you'll have good success. Not just good success in your own life, but good success in soul winning, in winning the loss. And remember, we're preaching to a decision. We're not preaching, we're not trying to share our faith just for the sake of sharing our faith we're sharing our faith because we're trying to bring people to a point of decision where they're going to choose ye this day whom you should serve if you're just sharing just to share you're not doing the right job you need to share to bring them to a uh uh to bring them to to the pinnacle of emotion and to the pinnacle of conviction where you now invite them 
And if they're not ready, they'll say, no, I, I don't want it. I, I'm not ready for this. I don't believe. Uh, fine. Paul said in one time when he was preaching that there were many that's, that rejected the message. They mocked him. Others said, we'll hear you again in this. And then others said, we'll join you and believed. So you're going to have three different types of reaction. You're going to have some that are going to mock you, laugh at you. Who cares? Blessed are you when you're reviled for Christ's sake. Blessed are you when you're reviled for the sake of the gospel. For the Bible says, the glory of God shall be seen on you, and great is your reward in heaven. On their part, Christ is reviled. But on your part, Christ is glorified. Number two, they'll reject you outright. Uh, sorry, number one is they'll reject you. Number two is they'll hear you again in this, this matter. I, I, you know, I, I'm not quite ready yet, but you mind if I come to church this weekend? Just to, I mean, you, you'd be surprised at the reaction. Some of you are, are, are having people come into your mind right now. People you think that if I do this, if I actually step out in faith and share the gospel, th there's no way on earth that this guy would ever even be interested in hearing me speak more than three words. The moment I say Jesus... He's going to stop me right there. You'd be surprised. Some people have been waiting to hear this glorious gospel preached from your mouth. Number one, you'll never be effective if you're ignorant of the word. The word of God stored up in your heart will produce effectiveness in soul winning. Number two, be convinced that God desires to save the people you're setting out to, to speak to, to preach to, to share the gospel with. If you... I'm not convinced God desires all men to be saved. You're not going to preach the gospel with authority. You're not going to preach the gospel with conviction. That you're actually going to, you're actually going to help someone today. Preach convinced that as much as I want to help somebody, God wants to help them a hundred million times more. The Bible says God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says in Hebrews, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God's plea is that men would not harden their heart. So that shows you the eagerness, the willingness, the zeal, the, the burning passion he has for people to get saved. He's pleading with them not to harden their hearts. Believe, enter into my rest. So be convinced that you're not doing some... It's like some people, you know, they've bought into that whole God saves some, God damns others. And so as a result, when you're preaching to someone, how are you going to have faith to have that guy saved? Expect him to even believe if you're not even sure God wants them to be saved. Don't let people's situations, don't let people's scenarios dismay you or cloud you. Man sees on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God looks deep down and God's spirit and God's word works in the hidden parts. So if you, oh, this guy's homeless. He's a drug addict. He, there's no way. I mean, what are we going to do? It's too far gone. Zacchaeus was a crooked tax collector. And Jesus, when he came and ate at his house that day, salvation came to his house. So there's nobody that's too far gone. I've seen people, there was a guy in Wildwood, Alberta. He might be watching. His name's Spencer. He uh, tried to kill himself two weeks before uh, I preached that week of meetings in that church. Tried to kill himself, locked himself in a garage and turned on the car. 
and um, rolled down the windows and was going to go by carbon monoxide. His mom found him, passed out, rushed him to the hospital. He ends up just like at the limit. God spared his life and they were able to, 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 to wake him up. I don't know if he was in a coma for a little bit, but what, what not. Anyways, two weeks later, his mom brings him to our meeting in Wildwood, Alberta. And uh, he, he looks bad. Like you can tell this guy's a drug addict. I give an invitation to receive Christ. He comes up, lay hands on him after. Power of God hits him. And um, comes back the next night, totally transformed. And he wants now, asks me for a, 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 a scholarship that we give away. If you, if you want to go into ministry at a church at the river of Tampa Bay. In, the river church in Tampa Bay, Florida. Great Bible college there. And he wants to go and enlist in Bible college. Asked me if I have any recommendations, so I recommend that place. I don't think he ended up going there, but he ends up uh, signing up to Teen Challenge after that. Gets whipped back into shape, and now he's a leader at Teen Challenge. He's one of like the, the main leaders of the Teen Challenge in that, in, in that part of Canada. So don't let anyone, situation or scenario, what you see them in right now, the, the, the darkness that they're battling right now, dissuade you. From preaching the gospel to them because it'd be hard to believe. With man, things are impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Number three, have faith and expectation for a harvest. So what does that mean? If you're, uh, if you're planning on sharing the gospel with someone, have faith that that person, you know, work your faith in the area in that area that that person is going to come to Christ. How do you work your faith? Begin to declare. The powers and the blinding forces of darkness are breaking off their life. And I, I declare in Jesus' name, as I speak this glorious message, the light of the gospel is going to get into his heart and he's going to come to a point of faith. I speak it into existence. The Bible says, by faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. So you can actually set things up by your faith, by speaking the word over them. Satan, you can't have that soul. They don't belong to you. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The scripture says, they're part of your family. Not just me, me and my house will be saved. So I command that foul serpent of old to take his hands off and I speak salvation into that man's spirit. That the word that I speak is not going to fall on dull ears. It's not going to fall on deaf ears. It's not going to fall on a dullened heart. It's not going to fall on a hardened, calloused heart. He's going to receive the word. And I'm expecting a harvest of souls today as I go out to share my faith. Line up your faith with what God's will is from his word. And you'll see. You can actually exercise your faith in the area of soul winning. Charles Spurgeon once had a pastor come to him and he said, I'm not seeing anybody saved in my meetings. I've been preaching. Our altars are, are dry. And he looked to him and said, well, did you really expect that every altar call you give, people are going to get saved? And the man said, well, you know what? No, I didn't really expect that. I understand. And Charles Spurgeon looked at, because he set him up for, with that question. And he looked at him and he said, see, there's your problem. He was being sarcastic. Did you really expect? Every altar call, someone would get saved. And the pastor bought right into it. Well, no, I didn't really expect that. And I said, well, there's your problem. You didn't expect, and so you didn't get it. The expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. The Bible says very clearly, 
the layman at the gate called beautiful. He expected to receive something and he received something. Expect to receive a harvest of souls. And then when you're believing God for a soul to come in and exercising your faith in that area, don't speak ill of the people God has called you to harvest. Don't speak negatively. You know, there was a time where I don't, probably still to this day, people always say this, that in Quebec, people are cold. They don't want to hear the message. People are spiritually cold. You know, people don't really have a desire for God. People that pastor here. Well, we live in a hard area. People are very hard, hardened to the gospel. You know, it's very tough where we are at. You know, it's not like the southern U.S. where everything's... Just... And so because of that, they've lined up... They've, by their words, have condemned their ministry of evangelization and they never grow. Don't speak ill of the people God has called you to harvest. Maybe people won't hear it from your mouth, but I'm anointed, I'm appointed, and I'm called, and they will... They will answer the call when I give it. When I organize a crusade and we, we set things up and schedule crusades, my faith is tired. I'm not like, well, let's see what they say. You know, hopefully someone's going to believe today. No, I thank you, Father, that a massive harvest of souls is coming in today. I thank you, God, that we're not doing this work in vain. You said as we speak boldly, you would confirm it openly, that you would convict the crowds of sin, that even if in the open they're looking at me just dead-faced, and it doesn't look like I'm doing anything. I thank you, Father, that your word is getting into them, that it is quickening their spirits, that their eyes are being opened, that their hearts are receiving the incorruptible seed of the word of God, and that we're going we're gonna to reap a mighty harvest of souls. I thank you that we're not winning a few here and a few, a few there. We are winning. We're going to, when everything is said and done, We'll have, we'll have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, millions saved by, to the glory of God. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in this to just bring in a few. I'm in this to bring in the Joel 1. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. So set your, as your faith is, so shall it be unto you. Well, I, I guess I'll try it, but you know. Hopefully, hopefully they'll hear us. Hopefully they'll heed this message. Hopefully they'll get saved. Hopefully they'll understand. Hopefully they won't mock me. Hopefully, no. Set your faith. Number four. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. This is an important one. A very important one. Don't beat sinners down over the head by making them feel like they're the worst freaking human beings on planet earth and that they're gonna go to hell if you don't don't do that that type of evangelism might scare someone in for a little bit but it it doesn't work over a long period of time i'm not talking about avoiding the doctrine of hell preach hell but don't let that be the driving point as to why people should repent the Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Jesus wasn't going around looking at sinners and saying, you foul tax collectors, if you don't give your life to me, I'm going I'm to be glad and smiling when I send you to hell on that day. He didn't do it that way. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
to set free them that are oppressed. Don't preach it from the standpoint of condemnation. I had a, I had a friend once who saw a guy in a, a McDonald's and he was... He, he went and sat down next to like two teenagers and he was over here. He knew who he was. He was a Christian at another church in Montreal. And so he was listening in on what he was telling them. And he heard them saying like, you know, you guys are going to go to hell. I'm telling you, if you think, if you think, you know, things are bad here, you're, you're going to go to hell one day and there'll be no chance. No, no, there'll be no way out. I tell you, God is angry at you and you need to, you need to repent and get saved right now. Or just like, you know, beating them over the head. You, you should feel really bad for everything you've done. And, you know, God in his mercy will still let you in. He'll accept you. But you, you know, just beating people over the head. And so my friend came in and he interrupted him. And he just totally, because it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Th that just puts a foul taste in people's mouth. Instead... Like I said, locate a problem that they're suffering with and then tell them how Jesus is the answer to that problem. Sin is the, is the cause. And then you'll see how easy it'll be to bring people to the faith. Do you know that God loves you? Has a plan for your life? Do you know that God, you know, wants to turn things around for you? Do you understand that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever? God's not angry at you. God is angry at the wicked every day. But the Bible says God is eager and willing to save sinners. Paul said, I was the worst, the chief of sinners. So if you're, you know, you, you tackle it from that angle, you're going to see a different result. If you just go every time you're around your family and you're just there. Yeah, drink. Drink all you want. Go to hell one day. Get all the liquor you want now. You won't be able to get drunk and dull the pain in hell. You know, you start talking like that, you're not going to get anybody saved. You're going to scare people away. The Bible says, in this was the love of God made manifest, that he gave, he didn't spare Jesus. And Jesus' ministry wasn't repent because hell is hot. No, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's the kingdom of heaven? The Bible says in heaven there's no sickness. The kingdom of heaven, God, what he has in heaven, wants to bring it to you on the earth. He wants to heal you today. He wants to mend that broken heart. He wants to release you from that captivity. Yes, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. If you'll give your life to Jesus today, I tell you, he said very clearly, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and my burden. It's easy and it's light, and you'll find rest for your souls. He didn't say, hey, you've been living a life uh, away from me, give your life to me, I'm going to show you how hard things are going to get. And you know that lying devil that's always whispering into your ear? You're not worthy? Well, let me tell you, he was right. You're not worthy of the... Yeah, that's not going to win anything, anybody to the Lord. When I do my crusades, I don't... You never shy away from preaching sin and the consequence and penalty of sin. That if you continue down that path, it brings in itself a curse. But preach the blessing. Preach from a positive standpoint. Number five, know your testimony. Know your testimony. Write it down. Be skillful in delivering your testimony. They overcame the devil by the word of their mouth and by the 
the, the, their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful and you can't screw it up because it's your testimony. But learn to, to like articulate it. Learn to speak it properly. Don't like come off the cuff and try and whip it up on a whim and try and make sense then. No, study, write it down. So that when someone says, you know, why should I give my life? Well, let me tell you, you know, you preach the gospel, but your testimony is a, is a produce, a produce of the gospel. It's a product of the gospel. So it'll actually further convict people and lead them to understand there's substance. Now, this isn't some outdated Bible that 2,000 years ago people were benefiting from, but man, that's still working. It's a timeless, ageless, eternal message, an incorruptible seed. It's still producing today. You'll, you'll get people's attention as a result. I, I always preach my testimony when I, give a, uh, when I do a crusade. Delivered from OCD. I mean, you'd be surprised at how many people struggle with anxiety and panic attacks and OCD in particular. So when I do that, I now have a, re a relation with them. They now trust me because I'm not some like perfect human being. The worst thing you can do is come out and make, you, make yourself to seem like you're some like holier than now. Uh, you are always good. You've been perfect since the beginning and that's why God brought you in. You know, because you're all, you always the cream of the crop and better than the rest. No. Tell people how lost you were. Tell people how helpless you were. Tell people the trouble you found yourself in. But when you came to Jesus, everything turned for you. When Jesus took me out of the horrible pit, he sat me on a rock. And since then, it's been goodness and mercy. It's God has been my light and my salvation. God has strengthened me day by day. It's been a life of glory to glory, virtue to virtue, strength to strength, and faith to faith. The Bible says in John 4, it was the woman at the, the well. Her testimony is what brought people to hear Jesus for themselves. Your testimony is an excellent, le an excellent leading point into it's a, it's a great gateway almost into the the actual message of the gospel you can lead people tell them start off with your story and then tell them about the the core the fundamentals of the gospel this is the message that changed my life it was the entrance of this word that brought me out of darkness paul used his testimonies countless occasions he kept saying his encounter with jesus christ on the road to damascus and people were, in, they were obsessed. They wanted to hear more about it. Number six. So number five is know your testimony. And be skillful in your delivery of it. Take time. Be intentional with soul winning. Don't just, well, if it, the opportunity comes, I'll do No, take time. Write it out. Study your testimony. So that when you, you actually deliver it, you're not at loss for words. And you don't draw a blank. You want to mo know why most people draw blanks in sharing the gospel is because they're not they know it but they don't know it to the point it's like when you're on a test when you've studied a test and you've studied it over and over and over and over again then when the test comes you're most likely not going to draw a blank when you study your testimony over and over again and you get the fundamentals of the gospel in you over and over again you're not going to draw a blank and the more you practice it the better you'll get at it number six understand that when you're sharing your faith you can't come from a standpoint of timidity. And I've said this before in this broadcast. You can't be thinking shy thoughts like, well, I, I, I don't know. May, hopefully they'll hear me. 
Hopefully they're going to understand what I'm saying. You know, some people preach in a way that it almost makes them sound like they're saying, you know, this message isn't for everyone, but if you're here today... No, the message is for everyone. Point number six, understand the people want what I have and I have what the people want. That's what gives you boldness and authority when you speak the gospel. I'm not speaking some message that, you know, might impact some in the few, but ultimately... The majority of people don't even need what I, ha what I have to offer. I mean, why do you think? What do you think drives innovators to invent? What do you think drives Tesla to, to invent more technology when it comes to cars and, and battery-operated cars? It's because they understand there is a demand for this product. Understand that the demand for the gospel is universal. And let that drive you. That when you are sharing your faith, you're not... well. I don't know if they'll want. No, they want what I have. Even if they don't know what know it at this moment, by the time I'm done, they're going to know that what I have is exactly what they've been looking for. Number six, the people want what I have and I have what the people want. And the gospel is good news and it should be preached like it's breaking news. Don't get up and have some unexcited delivery of the message. Well, let me hear your story. Yeah, well, you know, I was lost in sin and Jesus came and saved me and since then it's been good. I'd encourage you if you'd like to, you know, I, you can come to church with me this Sunday or if you're interested to hear more. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> if it doesn't even move your heart, look at me when I minister like this. The only thing blocking me from running into this camera is this desk and the fact that I'm seated. And I've already said I'm not going to do stand-up broadcast because I, I, I'd be out of the lens. I'm excited. You want to know why people aren't excited about this gospel? Because pastors, ministers across the board have neglected to preach this gospel in their own churches. They're not, they don't even know what the gospel entails for them. They're not, they know more about seven keys to have a cleaner kitchen than they do about this glorious message of salvation. They don't know what's in it. They have no idea. Most people, most, you'd be astonished. I said it before, at how ignorant the modern church is when it comes to comprehending the actual message of the gospel. That's why when I preach very simple gospel messages, that's actually when I have the best feedback. That's actually when, when people feel the most spiritually blessed because they haven't heard about it in... 52 weeks, maybe one Sunday a year is given to it, Easter Sunday. And then the rest of it is just self-help, psychology, and all that. And I'll give you another thing is, don't spend and waste your time off people who have time and time again rejected the message. Don't waste your life trying to convince the same people Praying about the same people. I mean, continue to have them in prayer, but eventually you got to wipe the dust off your feet and go to the next one. Jesus, he said, for this cause have I come that I might preach in other towns also. He went about in all cities and villages. He didn't focus on one town or region. If people didn't want what he had, you know what he did? All right, going to the next because there's way too many people that do want it to focus and waste time on people who mock it and, and reject it.
Number seven, fasting and prayer will greatly assist you in your, in your um, not only in your delivery of the gospel, but in the power produced when you preach that gospel. Fasting and prayer will produce power and a weight of God's glory on your words that when you speak, it, it'll be different. If I know that when I've preached without fasting and prayer, and when I've preached with fasting and prayer, it's two totally different, two totally different scenarios, two totally different uh, results. When I fast and pray, it's like C4 in a detonator. Things explode, miracles break out, and more people get saved. When I, if I ever don't fast and pray for a little while or whatever, and I, you know, that's when things. That's when I, I, I see, I, I feel like I'm beating against a, a brick wall. I feel like I'm beating a, a dead horse. No, it seems like nothing's getting through. Fasting and prayer will actually get, allow that, that seed to penetrate easier, in an easier way, into the heart of men. Isaiah 58, listen to this. Isaiah 58, is this not the fast that I've chosen? Listen to what the fast he has chosen, God has chosen, does. To loose the bonds of wickedness. Remember, people are in darkness because of the bonds, the, the bondage of wickedness, the chains of darkness. And fasting loosens the bonds of wickedness. So it further assists you and enables you that when you're speaking the word, it's the word and the spirit coming together and it's loosing the chains of darkness that keep people in the bondage of unbelief. To undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you should break every yoke. Then you skip down to verse 10. Sorry, to verse uh, verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Then your light. So the light you have of the gospel in you, when you fast and pray, it'll break forth into others like the morning. You'd be surprised. The people you've been fast, uh, the people you've been praying about. And you've been sharing the gospel, and it seems like nothing's getting through to them. Mix in fasting to that prayer, and then take a step to share the gospel. You will be astonished at what one day of fasting can do. Three days. There's nothing in the Bible that three days of fasting and prayer didn't accomplish. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit after his fast, and that's when people started to get pricked to the heart. The early church, the Bible says, they fasted and prayed, and having laid hands on Paul and Silas, uh, Paul and Barnabas, sorry, they sent them out by the Holy Ghost. And when Paul preached, they were pricked to the heart. They were pricked to the heart. They were, uh, it, it cut them deep in the heart. Fasting and prayer coupled together. Well, uh, in preaching the gospel, will prick people in the heart. It'll cut them deep. It'll cause your words to, 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 bypass the flesh bypass the carnal appeal to their own hearts and it'll dig it deep down it'll let the word sink deep into their hearts number eight and this is where i'm i'm finishing off today is you need to be filled with the holy spirit you must be filled with the holy ghost if you're going to have real results in soul winning. I'm not saying you can't soul win without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I'm saying when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, it'll take you to a whole new level. How do we know that? Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 9, immediately 
Acts chapter 9, I think it's verse 13. He began to confound the Jews that dwelt at Damascus, preaching that Jesus was the Christ. The baptism in the Holy Ghost will put an undying fire in you that even in the midst of mockers, even in the midst of people who seem not even to care about what you're saying, it'll put a conviction in you to give a persuasive plea and call. It'll... It'll put a fire in you to never back down. It'll put something deep down in your heart. Even if none go with me still, I will follow. That's what the fire of God does. That's what God, Paul, the baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire is what enabled Paul to run his course, to say, I count, I count my life as no account dear to myself so that I can finish my course with joy and solemnly preach the gospel. It's what made Paul a radical. And it, Paul said, I didn't come with superiority of speech. I didn't come with man's wisdom. I didn't try to convince people with human wisdom and intellectualism. I came in the simplicity of the gospel and in the baptism and the Holy Ghost, I demonstrated the spirit and the power of God. It's the baptism and the Holy Spirit that Peter, before he was baptized in the spirit, he couldn't confess Christ before three servant girls at a campfire. What changed him? A shaken reed. What changed Peter? Some coward. Somebody who... A couple of chapters before was saying, even if all will fall and stumble, I will go to the, I will go to death for you, Jesus. And then when the time came for him to actually put meat on those words, what happened? He immediately backed down. Why? Because he had a desire to do something. Some of you had a desire to sow when you have a desire to win the loss, but you're lacking power with God. Peter had the desire to stand with Christ, but he lacked the substance of what enabled Jesus to go to the cross. And that was the baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. And when Peter in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost fell, now he didn't have three people to give an account to. He had thousands of people that came running together, having heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind. And the Bible says he stood up. He didn't say, hey, you know what, John, why don't you go? No, Peter stood up with the 11 and said, Men and brethren, these men are not drunk as you suppose. What empowered him to have an unashamed declaration of that gospel? What empowered him to stand up in the midst of people who four, 50 days earlier had crucified Jesus? Fearlessly standing up, boldly. Saying this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. That in the last days I'm going to pour out of my spirit. It's the baptism and the Holy Ghost and fire. You can't do it on your own. You can't preach and have results on your own. Even Billy Graham. If you study uh, one of his the biographies written on him. He had an encounter with the Holy Ghost. You can't lead the amount of people he's led to the Lord in natural strength. He had an encounter in a hotel room, I believe it was in Wales, where he met with an evangelist. I forget who it was. And uh, as they prayed together, he said, I felt like an ecstasy in the spirit. I've never felt before. And he doesn't go into detail as to what he, he said, because remember, he was a Southern Baptist. And in the Southern Baptist, up until recently, if you spoke in tongues, they cut you off. And he said, I, I, um, 
uh, he, he said like something flowed from within out of my mouth. And I had a, an amazing, I think it was like three or four hours in the spirit, just praying with God. That was the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He won't say it, but I, I, I can guarantee he prayed in other tongues. I can guarantee he prayed in other tongues. You look at anyone that's won that many people to the Lord, anyone that has an effective ministry, they pray in the spirit. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than you all. He, was, he wasn't ashamed of the spirit. He, that's why you have churches that have no results in evangelism because they, the pastor might say, well, I pray in tongues, but behind closed doors. But they deprive the congregation from gaining access to the very power that could actually be causing an explosion in the church today. Jesus said, don't try to win the world on your own power, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come on you and you'll be witnesses to me. You'll be witnesses. You will be empowered voices for me on the earth. And not only that, Paul said, by mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have fully preached. The baptism in the Holy Ghost is like the inauguration into the school of signs and wonders with God. You've, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're enlisted into the school of the Spirit where you now have access to the gifts of the Spirit. Those gifts of the Spirit are important. They're essential for winning the loss. The Bible says, let it be for the edification of the, of the church that you seek to excel in the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want to have the working of miracles just so I can go around, you know, working useless. No, I don't want the gifts of healing just so I can stay healed and lay hands on my family. I, I earnestly covet the greatest gifts because there's a world out there that needs help. And they're not, Jesus said, if they don't receive my words, at least believe because of the works you see me do. The Holy Ghost empowers you to do the works of Christ. Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And they, the Bible says the multitudes gave heed, not because of the word, because they saw the signs which he did. For multitudes were being healed of paralysis, and many were delivered of demons, the demons shrieking as they came out. And you know what? When word came to Peter and John in Jerusalem that revival broke out in Samaria, you know what Peter and John immediately did? They didn't say, oh, praise God. The Holy Spirit has visited our brethren in Samaria. No. Peter and John immediately went to Samaria and they preached to them the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. For as yet they had not, he, he had not fall, fallen on any of them. And having laid hands on them, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19, Paul is traveling through the upper regions of Ephesus and he stumbles on 12 disciples. And his first question is, hey, can I hear, what's the greatest miracle you've ever seen? He didn't ask them. Hey, let me hear about your background, your testimony. He didn't ask them that. People who have no desire to be baptized in the Holy Ghost are people who have no desire to do anything for God. They're content just living out their Christianity in their, their selfish. It's all about, you know, I'm blessed. My family's saved. I'm going to heaven. So they have no desire for more power with God to help others. Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You believed, you've been blessed. But have you been empowered to get to work? No, we haven't even so much as heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. You haven't heard. What the heck did Apollos preach? He said, John baptized with water unto repentance. But he said there'd be one who was so mighty, 
I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal straps. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And when he had said this, he preached to them and they baptized them. He laid hands on them and they were baptized in the Spirit and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. Acts chapter 2. And this shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out of my Spirit, says the Lord, on all flesh, on woman. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament only came on the prophet, on the king, and on the priest. That's the only functioning of the Holy Spirit in the people that they had access to. If anyone wanted access to God, if anyone wanted, they had to go to the priest, they had to go to the prophet, if they wanted to have any counsel, if they wanted to have any direction as to what to do, uh, point them in the right direction, they had to go to Samuel, they had to go to Elijah, they had to inquire of the prophets of the Lord. In this new covenant, the veil was rent from top to bottom, and the Holy Spirit was released into the four corners of the earth. Jesus said, when I go, I will pray to the Father, and He will send you the Helper, and the Helper will teach you everything and you'll bring to remembrance everything that you've, you've learned. And not only that, when you get up to preach, don't worry nor premeditate beforehand as to what you want to say. But the Spirit, the Spirit of your Father, He shall speak in and He shall speak through you. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're not doing it in your own ability. I can't do this in my... You think I can go an hour and 34 minutes and most times I'm going like two hours preaching until I'm red in the face and my veins are popping out based on human ability most of the times in myself I don't even want to no not most of the times I don't even want to yell I just want to come on and do a nice dignified broadcast just teach today but there's the Bible says it's like a fire shut up in my bones that fire is coming alive on the inside of you right now in Jesus name it's gonna permeate the Bible says the Bible says very clearly do not be drunk with wine in which is excess but be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire so that you can speak to one another so that the words of Christ are not just in you but they're real to you and he empowers you to speak those words to others I'm telling you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Spirit right now. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, receive that same baptism of Acts chapter 2. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and fire right now from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You shall be mighty, you, mightily used by God in these last days. Young women and young men, old men and old women shall dream dreams, shall prophesy in this final hour of time in the name of Jesus. You, your, your best days with God are not behind you. God's not done with you. God's not set you aside. Doesn't matter what you've done. Stop wallowing in complaints about what you've done in your past. Stop giving excuses of uh, your ineligibility of being used by God. No, you're more than eligible if you'll be more than willing. Because when you're more than willing, God will give you your, His Spirit. And where you lack, where you're weak, where your, your infirmity is, where you feel like you're not sufficient and where you feel like you have no talent in God's power will supplement those areas of weaknesses and where you're weak you'll be made strong I was a pothead could could not remember anything scrambled eggs in my brain now I spit fire with the Holy Ghost scriptures man that's not a skill I have that's the spirit in me 
it's like Jesus said, come to me, all that are thirsty, and I will give you the drink of the rivers, for out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a marvelous, a marvelous thing he's done. God who is at work in you and through you. That is the key component to being an effective soul winner. Without the baptism in the Holy Ghost, you will live frustrated, always trying, never able to successfully convince people. This isn't, baptism in the Holy Ghost isn't reserved for the ministry, and it's not reserved for the deacons. It's not reserved for a few elders in the church. The baptism in the Holy Ghost not only is it reserved for you, it is imperative that you partake in this heavenly blessing. It is imperative. You should hunger and thirst until you get it. That's the only qualification. You need to thirst. He said, I'll pour water on him that is thirsty. And that's the only qualification. Are you thirsty? Do you want a move of God? Do you want people saved in your family? Are you hungry for the power of God? David said, my soul longs for thee, my flesh thirsteth after thee, to see thy power in thy sanctuary. He said, like a deer pants for the water creek, my soul pants after thee. Do you have that craving in your spirit? Because if you do, you're not far. You're not far. And another thing, we do hunger for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But we're not waiting to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's a gift that Jesus, he is a gift that Jesus gave to us on the day of Pentecost. We're not waiting for another Pentecost. Pentecost 1 was all the Pentecost we need. We just have to connect to that same electric current that's been flowing since Pentecost, since Acts chapter 2. He's, it's not the Holy Spirit came and then he left. He's still on the earth today. And you have to receive that gift by faith. Jesus said, which of you being evil... If it's being evil parents, if his child asks for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks you for a, 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 a fish, will you give him a scorpion or a snake? No. You being evil know how to give gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's not holding the Holy Spirit back. No. The Bible says he has poured out his Spirit upon us lavishly, in abundance. So just lift up your hands right now. And if you're already baptized in the Holy Ghost, receive a fresh indoing, a fresh infilling of that Holy Spirit, that Holy Ghost power in the name of Jesus. Say, Father, I thank you that fresh oil is coming on me right now. I thank you that my cup is running over. I thank you that I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit right now. And by faith, I will speak in tongues. By faith, I will have a renewed zeal and passion to win the loss. By faith, I am receiving power from on high, clothed with power from on high to do the supernatural work of soul winning in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now thank God that he's given you fresh oil. It's running like Aaron, like it descended upon Aaron's beard. It's coming from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Every sign of weariness is going out the door, shyness, timidity. This gospel, I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit is embedding within you the boldness of Christ. They prayed saying, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. That boldness is coming alive in you. 
Boldness to speak even in the face of opposition. Boldness to speak even and with confidence, even in the face of adversaries. Just like David said, I won't be ashamed of your testimonies even amongst kings or dignitaries. Doesn't matter if the president's watching, doesn't matter if, if it's a, a, a homeless guy on, on a, in a tent city in Montreal. I'm telling you, I'm not going to be ashamed of this gospel. This gospel isn't just for people that are down on their luck. It's for people that think they have everything sorted out. And I'm not going to be ashamed of it. The Holy Ghost is going to embolden you today to speak with all confidence in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. If you're watching right now and you prayed that prayer with me, just write out, Amen. 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 If you're watching and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to do so right now. You can do so very easily. Very, It's so easy. It's so easy. Anything complicated, making you feel like it's some complex thing to come to God, it, it's not the gospel. The gospel is very simple. Repent and believe. And times of refreshing will come. God's Spirit will come and help you where you need to be helped. The gospel is not, you got yourself into that ditch. You got to get yourself out. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you got yourself into the ditch. And the power of God is what's going to take you out. But the Bible says that no man can get to the Father and God's help is inaccessible unless you come through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives, to give people shalom, peace. That word shalom in the Hebrew literally means peace and wholeness in every part of their life. The scripture says, look for the wicked men, those that are content in their sin, their place will be no more. In lead you'll look for them, but they'll be cut off from the earth forever. The Bible says the faithless will be uprooted from the earth. Things are hard for the sinner. The Bible says transgressions, uh, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the sinner is hard, it's difficult, its path is paved with thorns and thistles and horns and, and all kinds of uh, unfortunate mis, uh, misfortune and tragedy. But the Bible says very clearly that when you confess your sins to Christ, you'll find mercy and you'll enter into the way of righteousness, which is a way of life and in its pathway there is no death. God is more than eager and willing to help you today. He's, the Bible says He'll not put off to tomorrow what you're ready to, re to receive and believe for for yourself today today is the day of salvation now is the day to be saved i'm actually going to be making t-shirts in the coming week so if you if you want some i'll, I'll advertise it when they come but um i'm going to be making t-shirts that you know they'll have salvation now logo or whatnot but on the back it's going to be win the loss at any cost and then luke 19 10 that says seek and save that the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost that's why i do this to win the loss at any cost. I don't have to do these. Right? I don't have to. We're not, we're not struggling for money. We're not struggling. Absolutely not. God has been more than good as we've, perceived, as we've pursued his purpose. I'm doing this because I love you. I love people and I want them to make heaven. And also I want them to live empowered and victoriously here on the earth. So if you're watching now, you've never done that. Or maybe you have, but you're going to recommit your life to Christ today. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name. Today is the day I turn to you. I believe in my heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit where I was weak. Make me strong. Heal my body. 
touch my mind and let all things become new. I am a new creature. Old things pass away. And from today, not a new chapter, but a new book is being written. And you're the author, and I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.